You're listening to New England Public Radio News. I'm Carrie Healy, in for Susan Kaplan, and this is The Shortlist, NEPR's Week in Review. Joining us today, Rick Hurst, publisher of the newspaper African American Point of View. Also with us, Cynthia Simison, managing editor of the Springfield Republican. Welcome to you both. Thank Welcome. you. We're headed into election season already. In western Massachusetts' largest city, there are six mayoral candidates in addition to Springfield's current mayor, Dominic Sarno. Rick, have any of the challengers surprised or impressed you? Uh, not not really. I think it's a pretty weak field. Uh, I, I really do. Uh, I, I think that there are a couple of them that are a little stronger than the others, but um, I'm not impressed at all. Cynthia, same question to you. I agree with Rick. I think there are two that probably stand out. Um, All of them in general are relative newcomers. um, And preliminaries typically don't draw a large turnout. So it'll be interesting to see how things fall. How does a preliminary election in Springfield usually do? I pulled up some figures and uh, the race four years ago where you had three very well-known candidates, um, the incumbent, Antoinette Pepe and now Representative Tosado. And back then there was under 15% turnout. So, And that's not abnormal. Mm-hmm. It just isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick, what do the candidates have to do to be able to cut through and, and bring people to the polls? Well, you know, in a primary, nobody has figured that one out. <laughs> if you're in a regular election and they're good candidates, you'll get, some, you'll get people out. And I think the best example is what happened when... Um, the current president ran. He brought a whole lot of people out and including record numbers in the minority communities, numbers that people said couldn't happen. Well, in Springfield's mayoral race, among the issues that the challengers are disagreeing with Mayor Sarno on is his call for a moratorium on refugee resettlement in the city. Right now, of course, we're seeing a great tragedy playing out in Europe with people fleeing from Syria and elsewhere. Cynthia, is this international debate and those awful images and stories that have come with it going to change the local conversation? I'm not sure it will. Um, I think at the root, both of the international crisis and local are are issues of, of jobs and quite central to what ha- is happening local and, and housing. And the debate in Europe now is about um, what countries are economically positioned to welcome as many refugees as they can. Mm-hmm. Rick, is this area and the leaders here going to become more accepting of refugees? Uh, I don't think so. And I don't think it'll become much of an issue. Uh, I agree with Cynthia. I don't think that the electorate here is, is that concerned about uh, Dominic Sarno's position, except for on the negative side. I think that most of them, I think that most folks agree with him, to be frank with you. Uh, I think that's unfortunate, but um, I think the uh, the voters agree with him. And that's one of the reasons why I think he's, he's so uh, solid on that issue. Uh, he's pretty politically astute. And if it was an issue that was going to hurt him, he would dance around it. Hmm. That's not to say that there haven't been refugees resettled in the area. Jewish Family Services, Lutheran Family Services still going ahead. Apparently, Jewish Family Services had uh, specifically 12 Syrians resettled to the area last year. They plan to continue to do so in the future. Cynthia, any thoughts on that? Well, I think a generation ago, the city of Springfield welcomed Vietnamese refugees. And their success as members of this community uh, speak volumes about the potential. 
I think you're right. Uh, and I think Dominic Sarno, by the way, is wrong on that issue. Mm. I just speak to the electorate and how they feel about Dominic Sarno, but I think he's dead wrong on that issue. And we'll find out on Tuesday. <laughs> this week, Massachusetts Attorney General Mara Healey signed off on 22 ballot questions uh, among the initiatives moving forward. Are a constitutional amendment that would increase taxes on income above $1 million. But there are a number of hurdles that would still need to be cleared before that additional 4% would be coming back to fund public education, infrastructure, and transit. Petitioners need to collect more than 67,000 signatures, and then two supportive votes have to be taken by lawmakers over a period of formal sessions. So, Rick, given the number of affirmative votes and the things that need to be cleared to get into the 2018 ballot, is this millionaire tax going to fly? Uh, you know, I think it could fly because I think that people are very sensitive to the fact that we do this uniform taxation business and people who make the biggest share of the money are, are really getting off the hook. And they have been for years under the Constitution. Uh, I think that people will respond to it, and I, I think it will fly. Not many fly, by the way, of, of all those that are put out there. Mm -hmm. But um, I think this is one that will catch on. And Cynthia, I'm assuming that millionaires are the ones making campaign contributions to lawmakers. Indeed. Uh, are there going to be significant pressures put on those lawmakers to vote this down? I suspect there might be. I, I think it's interesting. The groups that are supporting this measure include labor groups and the like that will attract a good number of signatures to support it. I'd like to just note there are only 14,000 people, according to what I've read, that meet this threshold. So those are the individuals that are going to be affected by it. Yeah, I found uh, moneyrates.com said Massachusetts ranks fourth in the nation for millionaires with 42 out of every 10,000 in the state. There, but we wouldn't know about that, would we? There, aren't a lot of, there, there are a lot of millionaires who agree with the increase in the taxes, mm -hmm. by the way. Yeah. And it's only on the million and up that gets exactly. the additional. Correct. Yeah, there are provisions in there. There were other ballot questions, too, that were going to make it for the 2016 election. And one would legalize marijuana use in Massachusetts, an option to tax those sales. It would be the regular state tax plus a surcharge and then a possible local tax, adding up to about 12%. Rick, is this a good way for the state to raise revenue for local governments? Uh, I'm really unsure as to whether it's a good way for the state to raise revenues because I've heard reports from other states that the, that the revenue raising has not been that substantial. Mm. Uh, but I do think it's a <laughs> I, th I do think it should pass, uh, and so that we can take the criminal behavior uh, of, out, out of the distribution process. In Colorado's tax is nearly 30 percent. Same question to you. And last word, Cynthia. It's a potential source of revenue. I think all sources of revenue should be looked at, not for or against. And I think we should watch what happens in Colorado and Alaska and the other states where it's already been legalized. Mm -hmm. Cynthia Simison of the Springfield Republican and Rick Hurst from the newspaper African American Point of View. Thanks to both of you. You're more than welcome. Thank you. And thank you for listening to The Shortlist, NEPR's Week in Review. This is New England Public Radio. I'm Carrie Healy.